Senator Chuck Schumer's HR1 legislation will destroy America's free and fair elections. No question. And now Schumer is going to force a vote in the Senate this month instead of in August. Plus, the five stories the mainstream media refused to report to you. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. Now is not the time to cave to the radical left or to corporate wokeism or cultural Marxism or establishment Republicans or AOC or teachers unions or big tech. No, no. Now is the time to be a culture warrior and never back down. So do not be a squish because we have no room for squishes on this show. Okay, Senator Chuck Schumer's HR1 legislation. This is the little private, this little darling of the left, this piece of legislation. It will destroy America's free and fair elections, no doubt about it. Speaking of things trying to destroy us, let me tell you about how ExpressVPN helps keep me safe. There are a lot of things I search for online that aren't anybody's business. I don't want anybody to know about them. It's It's not dirty stuff, that's not what I mean. I'm talking about security stuff. I search for the security system for my house, breast bumps to take care of my daughter, guns my husband purchases, just things that are private, nobody's business. And I know what you're thinking, well, can't you just use a private browser mode incognito? It's actually not good enough. Incognito mode doesn't hide your activity, believe it or not. It doesn't matter what mode you use or how many times you clear your browsing browsing history either. Your internet service provider can still see every single website that you have ever visited. How creepy is that? That's why even when I'm at home, I never go online without using ExpressVPN. Internet service providers in the US can legally sell your information to ad companies. Just what everyone wants to hear. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so that your internet service provider cannot see the sites that you visit and therefore can't sell your information. ExpressVPN also keeps all of your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. All you have to do is tap one button and you're protected. So protect your online activity today With the VPN rated number one by CNET and Wired, visit my exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash Liz, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash Liz. Expressvpn.com slash Liz to learn more. Tell them I sent you. Okay, basically, we need to stop Chuck Schumer's election destruction scheme because that's what HR1 would do. It's called For the People Act, could not be a bigger misnomer. I absolutely hate how the Democrats name their legislation. It's always exactly the opposite of what the the legislation will actually do if enacted. So with For the People Act, it should be For the Democrats Act. Schumer had originally said that the Senate would take up this legislation after the August recess. Well, this week, Schumer changed his mind. It says now it's going to come up for a vote as soon as June 21st. That's just a couple of weeks from now. We should all be hearing warning bells clanging in the background. This piece of legislation is an 800-page monstrosity. I mean, if you want to talk about election bills, the Georgia election bill was about 90s, in the 90s. That's how many pages it was. This is 800 pages, a monstrosity. We must expose it for two reasons. It's both unconstitutional and it's unwise politically. A double whammy. Just what you want for new laws. Okay, so it would destroy our federalist system, It would undermine the already shaky confidence that people have in our election systems, and it would make our elections all over the country, precincts, states, not to mention federal, ripe for fraud. Part of it is also arguably illegal. 
So the basis of this, by the way, is Democrats claim that our election system is racist. And we're going to get to that a little bit later. But first, I want to talk about the reality of the H.R. 1 legislation, because when the Democrats talk about things that they're trying to do, they rarely give you a bullet list of the facts and then tell you the implications of the facts, not their opinion of the implication, but the implication that we can derive by looking at us, individual states or precincts who have actually enacted these different things and the results of other smaller places like states and localities enacting them. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to talk about the reality of the H.R. 1 legislation. So in a nutshell, H.R. 1 forces states to adhere to early voting, to automatic voter registration. It mandates same-day registration, regardless of whether states want this or not. It mandates online voter registration and no-fault absentee ballots. That's just a few. That's sort of the nutshell version of it. So Let's go through this one by one. So same-day registration might sound fine, right? It might it might sound fine. The Democrats say, well, some people didn't know they needed to register early or they weren't able to get away from work for two days, a registration day and a voting day or whatever their explanation is. The reality of same-day voter registration is that it's, it's problematic for logistical reasons, right? There is no time to verify the accuracy of the information that the voter has put on their registration, even their eligibility to vote in that election. There's no way to verify it because it's the same day that they cast their ballot. Once a ballot's cast, it's almost impossible to uncast that ballot, right? So that right there is a big vulnerability to fraud. There's also, if you have same-day registration, there's no way to know how many ballots or how many precinct workers are going to be needed at each individual precinct. Because if if you don't know how many people are going to show up if you allow them to register on that same day. Whereas if you have them register early, then you know how many voters or at least the possibility of the maximum amount of voters that could show up at your precinct. So you'd know how many ballots to have on hand. You'd know how many workers to have on hand. This is important because the Democrats tell us, especially after the 2016 election, the Democrats have told us that wait lines, if they're longer than one hour, are racist. Remember what happened in Georgia? There were a few precincts who had machine issues, ballot issues, and the wait lines were extremely long, inappropriately long, four hours, some of them. We were told that that was racist, that that was terrible for minority voters, that it was suppressing their vote, okay? But this provision in HR1, same-day registration, would actually cause that to happen more often at precincts across the country. And states wouldn't have any say in this. That's sort of the defining underlying theme of this bill is states no longer would have the right to make any of these decisions for themselves. The federal government would be making all these election related decisions for the states. Okay, so that's the problem with same day voter registration, which is mandated in this bill. H.R. 1 also mandates early voting. No, I'm against early voting. It's not it's not unconstitutional to my knowledge, but it is very unwise because voters who vote early do not have all of the information that may be released before Election Day. Think of 2016, for example. Those who cast their ballots early missed the entire James Comey Hillary email saga. They'd already cast their ballot. Do you know how many people Googled in the aftermath of that revelation, how can I switch my vote? Can I switch my vote? The Google searches skyrocketed for that question afterwards because people got more information and they realized that that information would have informed their vote differently. So early voting, in my opinion, is unwise because voters don't have all of the information. And that's not fair. That's not a good way to conduct an election. In practicality, early voting also makes elections more expensive because it stretches out the get out the vote efforts. And that's where campaigns spend the majority of their money. 
right? So instead of spending the majority of the money just in the week leading up to the election, now they have this, you know, much longer period of time that they spend money. Okay, speaking of getting all the information that you need, if for some reason big tech kicks me off of their platforms once and for all, I will not be silenced. So I wanna make sure that I have the ability to stay in touch with you should that occur. That's why I'm asking you today to subscribe to our email list at lizwheelershow.com. If you want to make sure that you never lose access to the Liz Wheeler Show and all of the content, the reality that I'm delivering here to you that we are discussing, then please join my email list. It's very important to me that we can stay in touch if that does ever happen to me, if that happens to us, because regardless of big tech censorship, I am here to stay. So go to lizwheelershow.com and drop your email address so that I can still reach out to you if, or when, God forbid, Big Tech pulls the plug. That's lizwheelershow.com. Drop me your email address. I'm very respectful with it. I just want to make sure that I can stay in touch with you if I am censored once and for all. lizwheelershow.com. Okay, back to HR1. So another provision mandated in HR1 requires the automatic registration of all individuals in certain state and federal databases. Now, the key word in this part is individuals. Individuals. What is the problem with that word? Well, all individuals in our country are not citizens, are they? And if you're not a citizen, even if you're a legal alien here, a legal immigrant, you're not eligible to vote. This provision in HR1 mandates that states automatically register all individuals from state and federal data databases. That means the Department of Motor Vehicles, Corrections and Welfare Offices, the federal agencies such as Social Security Administration, the Department of Labor, the Federal Bureau of Prisons, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, at the Department of uh, Health and Human Services, et cetera, et cetera. All individuals, not citizens. That's a pretty critical difference. So this could not only cause people who are ineligible to vote, aliens, put them in the system. It, it's also going to cause duplicate registrations because people's names are going to be in several, multiple of these databases, right? And if you are required to register all individuals in each database, you're going to get duplications. And what does that mean? That means that it's going to be a very messy voter roll. Again, you're not going to know the number of ballots. You're not going to know the number of precinct workers. It could lead to longer waits. And it also is very ripe for fraud automatically registering all individuals versus all citizens, that's a very big deal. This bill, Chuck Schumer's HR1 mandates that. It also mandates online voter registration. Now, this is a problem and we can, I mean, this is obviously a problem, right? Hackers have hacked into our infrastructure multiple times in the past month alone. Imagine if something like the hack in the pipeline happened in our election infrastructure, our voter registration infrastructure. So not only would your privacy be at risk, it would be ripe for manipulation, which means that they could delete people from being registered. They could add people from being registered. They could move people's registration around to different counties. All it would take is a hack. And we know that we're vulnerable to hacking because it's happened. It happens to us all the time. Our adversaries do this to us all the time, foreign and domestic. But Biden's HR1, Schumer's HR1, mandates online voter registration. It also mandates that 16 and 17-year-old children uh, are registered to vote, even though they're not eligible to vote until they're 18, unless, of course, it's a primary when they're 17 and they'll be 18 by the general election. But this mandates that 16 and 17-year-olds who are not eligible to vote are registered to vote. So, first of all, the biggest problem with this is that it says nothing about voter ID in this provision, nothing about voter ID, which means 
that there's no way to challenge the eligibility of voters, which means that 16 and 17 year olds who were automatically registered to vote could theoretically walk into their polling place and say, I'd like to cast my ballot, even if there is a suspicion that this child, the 16 or 17 year old, or someone posing as a 16 or 17 year old, uh, even if there's a suspicion that they're ineligible, there's no voter ID. They just have to say that they are who they are. So again, ripe for fraud. This comes at a time, all of this comes at a time that there's a very shaky confidence in the public attitude in our election systems. And all of these provisions are gonna make it just drastically worse. This whole thing is a monstrosity. So HR1 also mandates that precincts count ballots that come from outside of their precinct. Okay, this is this is not something that most precincts do. Most precincts only count votes that are from within their own precinct. And it's the same problems. They might not have the staff to do it. They might not have the ability to monitor the votes the same way. It's ripe for fraud. All of these things, everyone on both sides of the aisle, by the way, wants, or at least voters, I should say, I don't want to speak for the swamp creatures in Washington, D.C., Voters on both sides of the aisle want our elections to be secure. That's not a partisan desire. It's not a partisan goal. Yet all of these provisions in the Democrats' HR1 makes our election systems less secure. It makes it more ripe for fraud, more ripe for vulnerability to bad things happening. Okay? It also, HR1 also mandates no fault absentee voting. This should be something left to the states. This is a state decision whether they want to allow anybody to do a mail-in ballot for no reason or whether they want to say you have to have a reason to do that. That's the state's decision. Yet the federal government, the Democrats want the federal government to mandate that. HR1 also bans witness signature or notary requirements for absentee ballots. So imagine that. You can now request a mail-in ballot for any reason and you don't have to have a witness signature or a notary requirement to make sure that the request for the absentee ballot, which you don't have to have any reason for, is legitimate or going to you. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's called ballot pirates when people intercept mail-in ballots. Can you imagine? This is like a field day for ballot pirates. It's terrible. And right now, by the way, th the other thing to talk about here is... Our constitution was created in a way that empowered the states to conduct elections the way that states and state legislatures deemed best. We actually don't have a federal government election infrastructure in that sense. We have state election infrastructures. So if the Democrats are successful in taking over, because that's what this is, is, this is a takeover. HR1 is a takeover, a power takeover. If they're successful, they're overriding the federalist system that empowers states to make these laws, and instead they're taking all that power for themselves. This would actually overturn, override multiple dozens of states that have laws that are different or that HR1 contradicts. In the case of banning witness signatures or notary requirements for absentee ballots, 12 states currently require that absentee ballots have a witness signature, right? Or that voters comply with some kind of voter ID requirement when they vote absentee to prove that they are who they say they are so that their vote isn't stolen by someone. 12 states' laws would be nullified by this federal law. That's a big deal in our federalist system. HR1 also mandates that states and precincts accept absentee ballots 10 days after an election has already happened, if, the, if it's postmarked by election day. 
10 days after. So think about back to, you know, the 2000 presidential election. We thought it was terrible that we didn't know who the president was by the end of the night, right? In 2020, we didn't know who the president was until late in the night, right? This would make it the norm that we wouldn't know the result of an election for probably weeks after the election. That's not going to spark confidence in our election system. It's again going to be ripe for fraud and it's overriding the will of the states. HR1 also requires states to allow vote harvesting or ballot harvesting. So ballot harvesting is essentially when a third party organization or individual, that means not a family member or household member of the voter, when any individual, any third party organization transports a mail-in ballot from the voter, probably at the voter's house, to the polling place. Okay, and a lot of states have laws against this for obvious reasons, because who's to say what these operatives who are collecting ballots are going to do with the ballots in between picking them up at the voter's house and dropping them off at the polling place? You don't know. There's no way to verify that it, that they haven't been tampered with. We've actually seen examples of the fraud that has happened or the unfairness, just the politicalization of what's happened. In California, there is, um, there's a video that I want to show you of an operative, a Democratic operative, in California, by the way, made vote harvesting or ballot harvesting legal. A Democratic operative was caught on a ring doorbell on someone's front porch. Actually, just watch it for yourself. See what happens here. Take a look. Who is it? Hey, I'm looking for Brandy. Who is it? Oh, it's Lulu. I'm, I came here to pick up your ballot. Yeah, we're offering this new service, but only to like people who are supporting the Democratic Party. It's a service. I'm just here to pick up your ballot and show you how to do it if you don't know. Okay, so clearly that's unfair. We'll deliver your ballot only if you're a Democrat, right? So they're not even pretending to be nonpartisan. They're obviously doing this for their political agenda, to help their political agenda. They'll help you fill the ballot out the way that they want it filled out, and then they'll deliver it for you. How do you know it's not tampered with? You don't. And by the way, this is actually not just a vulnerability for fraud just for Democrats. There was a congressional race in North Carolina that was thrown out in 2018. Um, it was actually a Republican who was caught breaking the law because of ballot harvesting. And another elected official in the state of Missouri was indicted because of the same thing. So ballot harvesting is just an asinine thing. I mean, it's obvious that states should outlaw this. There are 24 states, by the way, that either limit ballot harvesting or ban political operations, meaning campaigns, candidates, and activists, from both interacting with voters as they cast an absentee ballot or from delivering that ballot unsupervised to the polling place. 24 states would have their laws just destroyed by H.R. 1. Okay, HR1 also restricts cleaning up voter registration rolls. Now, this is a problem that states have all the time because people die, people move, uh, people's names change, and they need this constant cleanup, this constant cleanup of the voter rolls so that there isn't duplicate voter registration, so that it's not right for fraud if someone's registered in two precincts or two states, or if they've died and there's dead people, and especially without voter ID, it becomes, it's, it's a messy thing. And a lot of states, to their credit, have laws that require that precincts clean up their voter rolls so that they're as accurate as possible. HR1 restricts cleaning up the voter rolls. This is how they do it. They restrict the use of state programs that compare voter registration lists in order to find or detect these duplications uh, of people registered in multiple states. Okay? 
And it also restricts removing registrants who haven't voted no matter how long. So this is always a controversial thing, although it shouldn't be. It's just common sense. Many states have laws that say, hey, if you haven't voted in the past five years and we, the state, have sent reminders to vote or to update your voter registration multiple times and you haven't responded, then we're going to remove you from the role because you've gone inactive. You can always re-register if you want to vote another time. You're, of course, allowed to do that. But if you've gone a long length of time and you haven't responded to requests to update your voter registration or confirm that you want to remain active, then they remove your name from the role. They clean it up. H.R. 1 restricts removing registrants who haven't voted no matter how long it's been since they haven't voted or haven't responded. H.R. 1 also restricts public records of voter registration. So a lot of the scrutiny on voter registrations is done by third-party organizations. These are political activist groups who want to make sure that there's not fraud happening. So they compare voter registrations. They compare voting records of people because that is not the way you cast your ballot. But if you've cast your ballot in a certain election is public record, okay? H.R. 1 restricts public records of voter registration. So that's going to restrict, it's going to enable third parties from actually looking into that, okay? And this is perhaps the most egregious part of the bill. It's, it's, it's truly egregious. So H.R. 1 bans voter ID laws, period, just blanket, bans it, bans it. It reduces the verification to just, and this is so ridiculous, it's so absurd. The Democrats are so bold, the radical leftists are so bold in their attempts to just destroy any election security. So you don't have to show a voter ID. You're not allowed, states aren't allowed to require voter ID. All that you have to do to verify that you are who you say you are is sign a statement saying, yep, I am who I say I am. How on earth, please tell me how on earth that's going to stop someone who wants to commit fraud. Of course, they're already lying. So of course, they're not going to mind lying again so that they're not caught lying. The only way to actually catch them lying is for them to show state-issued ID. Democrats obviously don't care about this because they are banning voter ID laws. This, as I said, is not only the most egregious part because it creates the biggest vulnerability for fraud possible in our elections. This also overrides the state laws of 36 states in our country who have voter ID requirements on the books already. 36 states. The federal government wants to tell 36 states that they can't do what they're doing. Keep in mind, the Supreme Court has ruled that voter ID laws are constitutional. This ruling came in 2008. It was a six to three decision in Crawford versus Marion County Election Board. The Supreme Court said voter ID laws are constitutional. Now you might look at that number six to three and say, well, it wasn't a conservative majority at the time. Who, which liberal voted with the conservative justices? Liberal justice John Paul Stevens voted in favor of the law. It was a law of Indiana. He said it was constitutional. Why? Because states have an obvious interest in election integrity. Of course they do. Of course they do. This is not even to take into account the fact that public opinion is strongly in favor of voting of voter ID. The most recent polling from the Honest Elections Project showed that 77% of voters as a whole, this is both parties, support voter ID requirements. That's 62% of Biden voters support voter ID, 64% of Black voters, and 78% of Hispanic voters support voter ID laws. Okay? Overwhelming majorities. The only people that don't support voter ID laws 
are the radical leftists who crafted this bill. States that require voter ID, like Georgia, for example, they'll give you a free state ID if you don't have a driver's license or if you can't afford it. So it's not a matter of accessibility. The vast majority of people support voter ID. It's only the Democrats in Congress who don't. So the other, the other argument against voter ID coming from the left is that it's racist, right? That it disproportionately harms minority voters, black voters. So I want to talk just a second about the reality of what voter ID means to black voters versus white voters. So here are some numbers. Only 3% of black people in our country don't have a government-issued ID. There are 37 million black people in America. So 3% of 37 million is 1.1 million. So 1.1 million black people in our country don't have a government-issued ID. 2% of white people in our country don't have a government-issued ID. There are 197 million white people in the United States of America. 2% of 197 million is 3.9 million. 3.9 million white Americans do not have government-issued ID. 1.1 million black Americans do not have government-issued ID. 3.9 million white Americans do not. So there is a racial disparity there. There is. Three and a half times as many white people don't have government ID compared to black people. The Democrats don't mention that, do they? They certainly do not. Public opinion favors voter ID. Racial minorities are not disproportionately disadvantaged by not having government-issued IDs. More white people than black people do not have government-issued IDs. You can generally get them for free, and it's simply insulting to any demographic of people, especially when you're just dividing people based on immutable characteristics like skin color, to say that they have a lesser ability to go out and get an ID if they want to vote. It's insulting. Do you think black people are stupid that they can't get government-issued IDs? They can't get driver's license? Of course they can. But Democrats, as usual, are trying to use race as a dividing tool. They're banning. They want to ban states, 36 states, from voter ID laws. HR1 also forces states to allow felons to vote. This is a part that's probably unconstitutional because section two of the 14th amendment gives states the constitutional authority to decide if and when felons can vote once they're out of prison. States get to decide that per the constitution. Congress can't just bowl over the constitution, can't just pass a piece of legislation to override a constitutional amendment, it would require another constitutional amendment. So HR1 is violating the constitution with this provision. States have a right to do that, not Congress. Next. HR1 also forces state legislatures to relinquish the power to draw congressional districts and instead, get this, instead gives that power to independent commissions. There's two major problems with this. First of all, it's unconstitutional. The constitution gives states, state legislatures, the right to draw congressional districts. H.R. 1, Congress can't just grab that power. When the Constitution delegates that power to states and state legislatures, Congress can't just take it over. They can't just steal it. Nope. It's illegal. That's the first problem. The second problem is independent commissions. Let's talk about that word. Independent commissions. So a better way to describe the phrase independent commissions would be unaccountable to voters. An independent commission is unaccountable to voters because they haven't been voted in. They haven't been confirmed by the Senate. They have zero accountability to the voters. 
We also can look at the history of our country, whether it's the very recent history with Mueller, Robert Mueller, Special Counsel Mueller, or all the way back to Woodrow Wilson, and we can see that independent commissions or neutral arbiters of anything are never unbiased. The Mueller investigation, this was supposed to be the epitome of just justice, blind justice, unbiased, nonpartisan. And it wasn't. It was the most partisan witch hunt we've ever seen at the upper echelons of the United States government. Why would we think that an independent commission to draw congressional districts, which then determines basically who, which party has control of Congress, why on earth would we trust these independent commissions, unaccountable to voters, to be unbiased? If you, if you do trust, if anybody trusts an independent commission like this to be unbiased, then you are naive. Woodrow Wilson, this idea builds on what we talked about last week when we were talking about the swamp in the administrative state. We talked about Woodrow Wilson, who was the 28th president from 1913 to 1921, and how we envisioned this neutral administrative state, these civil servants that would run the government from an administrative standpoint that wouldn't insert their own politics into anything that they do administratively. These politically neutral administrative state civil servants. Okay, we talked about last week how that obviously is ridiculous. It was ridiculous when Woodrow Wilson proposed it, but also in practicality, the way it turned out is in 2016, 95% of political donations during that election cycle from federal government employees, that would be this politically neutral administrative state, 95% of political donations went to Hillary Clinton. That's hardly politically neutral, 95%. The vast majority were very far left. We can even look at the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is supposed to be the epitome, the pinnacle of unbiased and nonpartisan. Are they? No. We literally categorize justices by conservative and liberal justices. We know how they're going to rule most of the time based just on their political affiliation or what we've garnered as their political affiliation from their jurisprudence. So this idea of an independent commission to draw congressional districts to basically control which party controls Congress? I don't think so. But H.R. 1 wants to make that law. H.R. 1 also reduces the number of FEC commissioners from six to five. Why? They don't give a reason. They don't give a justification. But it's easy to deduce why they do that. Because then there can be three of one party and two from the other. And the controlling party can make election laws that benefit the party that they affiliate with. An odd number always benefits one party or another. HR1 also allows the IRS to investigate political and policy positions of nonprofit organizations before granting these organizations tax exempt status that they have applied for. Okay? And this is what I mean when I say the Democrats are so bold, it's sometimes it's mind boggling. The vulnerability for abuse and discrimination here is beyond belief. The IRS, particularly, specifically, has a history of doing just this. Remember during the Tea Party era what the IRS did. They looked for keywords like Tea Party and freedom and liberty and conservative and constitutional. And they targeted those organizations based on the conservative political beliefs of the nonprofit organizations or of the people running them. Every person has a political belief. There's nobody that's completely neutral. You can run a nonprofit as a political person and it can still be a valid nonprofit. The IRS targeted those people based on their conservative political beliefs. And now the Democrats, through H.R. 1, want to give the IRS the power 
to investigate political and policy positions before granting tax-exempt status. So they want to make what the IRS did illegally, they essentially want to make it legal. Discrimination. HR1, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, now, all of these different things that we're talking about, these problematic, unconstitutional, or unwise provisions, let's talk about just the unconstitutional stuff for a sec. So you would think this is going to be right for lawsuits. It should be right for lawsuits. The Democrats thought of that too. If you or a state, any plaintiff, wants to file a lawsuit against H.R. 1, H.R. 1 itself makes it very difficult for you to do that. There is a provision in this bill, in this piece of legislation, that prohibits lawsuits against H.R. 1 except in the D.C. Circuit, okay, except in the D.C. Circuit Court. And it requires plaintiffs to file jointly. This is a huge violation of due process, a huge violation. And it also begs the question, why are you trying to limit lawsuits against H.R. 1 if you believe that what you have put in this piece of legislation is legal, is constitutional? Why would you try to limit lawsuits against it? Because if it is legal, you'll either it'll either be dismissed or you'll win. But the Democrats must know, they must, because they're not stupid, they're strategic. The Democrats must know that they're going to lose in court against this legislation, so they want to limit your ability violate your due process if you want to file a lawsuit on behalf of your constitutional rights as violated by this bill. Okay, as Senator Mike Lee said, I thought this was very apropos. He said, and I quote, everything about this bill is rotten to the core. This is a bill as if written in hell by the devil itself. Senator Lee, tell us more how you feel. This is the kind of passion that we need to fight against this bill. It's easy to look at these monstrosity pieces of legislation, 800 pages, stacks and stacks of paper, and ignore it, right? It's easier to watch a 30-second video online. But this bill will not only violate your constitutional rights and the idea that we are a system of states, this will give, this will cement Democrat power for the foreseeable future. It's their way of grabbing power from elections. Fortunately, there is a group of attorneys general, state attorneys general, that are fighting back on this already. So Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita is uh, the leader of this group, and he wrote, and I quote, as introduced, the act betrays several constitutional deficiencies and alarming mandates that if passed would federalize state elections and impose burdensome costs and regulations on state and local officials. Under both the elections clause of Article 1 of the Constitution and the electors clause of Article 2, states have principle and with presidential elections exclusive responsibility to safeguard the manner of holding elections. The act would invert that constitutional structure, commandeer state resources, confuse and muddle election procedures, and erode faith in our elections and systems of government. Governance, end quote. Leftists know H.R. 1 is unconstitutional for the exact reason that Rokita just said, which is why they made legal challenges to the legislation difficult, forcing all challenges to go through just the D.C. Circuit Court, a very liberal circuit court. Okay, so let's talk just for a second, too, about the idea of cases being consolidated. This is not typical. So this would force the states to use just one court-appointed attorney, okay? And like I said, this is, this is a pretty serious violation of due process. The legislation, though, it, it takes it one step further. It even allows for members of Congress to join the case which is obviously designed so that liberal members of Congress get involved in the lawsuit. So they want to make this a clown show. They want to make this just a kangaroo court. They want to diminish your due process and force you to fight against members of Congress here. 
Do you see how destructive this bill is? How dangerous this bill is? And here, here's some other stupid provisions of Schumer's stupid election bill. In one case, the bill actually mandates the use of technology that hasn't even been fully developed yet. It, the technology has not been developed. It probably won't be developed for several years, but it mandates that states use it. You cannot make this stuff up. So the result of this bill would be like, remember what happened in New York, that congressional race that took like 90 days to actually get a result because of their terrible ballot counting. This was in the lead up to the 2020 election. It's why we all warned about mail-in voting, but it took like 90 days for that New York Congress race, congressional race to get a result. That would literally be what happened in almost every congressional race if HR1 becomes the law. Turmoil will reign. Okay, the bill HR1 also provides a six to one subsidy. Six to one for small dollar donations. That means this is paid for with taxpayer dollars. So if you give $100 to your preferred candidate, taxpayer money contributed would be $600. It would become a $600 contribution. $500 added to that. Can you believe that? Your taxpayer money, as if we need more money in our elections. Okay, so the the reality of whether this bill will pass into law, the legislation would need the support of 10 Republican senators in order to actually make it to President Biden's desk because um, this is obviously going to be filibustered in the Senate, which means that you would need 60 votes, not a simple majority, but 60 votes to overcome that filibuster. So it's not just a matter of a couple of squishy Republicans like Romney, Collins, Murkowski. Um, you'd also have to get the support um, of Manchin or Cinema, who have stated that they support a filibuster. Um, so it's unlikely that that would be a, a winning thing for the Democrats to do, trying to abolish the filibuster. Leftists, of course, claim that this bill, H.R. 1, is exactly why the filibuster must be abolished. Thank God even Democrats like Manchin and Cinema are against it. Let's back up to what I said at the beginning. The narrative coming from the left The reason that they say that this bill is necessary is because they claim that our election systems, the way that our constitution has delegated power to the states to run elections, they claim it's racist. There's no basis for their claim. They provide no evidence, no proof, especially of systemic racism, let alone individual instances at this point. But they claim that it's racist. So this is just, this is an example of the critical race theory tactic that we explained on yesterday's episode. If you haven't watched it, please, after you finish listening to this one, go watch it. But this is how critical race theory works as a tool. So critical race theory defines everybody as either an oppressed person or an oppressor. And this definition is based on your immutable characteristics. In In the case of critical race theory, your race, once they've defined every person as oppressed or oppressor, they define institutions as oppressed or oppressor based on whether an oppressor is part of it or created it or runs it. So once that definition has been put out there, then critical race theory teaches that you must re-educate people, the oppressed people, to understand this oppressed-oppressor dynamic in everything. Okay, they want to re-educate people. Once they've done that, once they've made everything into this created oppressed-oppressor dynamic, then they want to destroy objective reality. They want to say, listen, nothing is really true or is really false. Everything is just a competing narrative based on your lived experience. So if you lived the experience of being oppressed, that's true. If you lived the experience of being an oppressor, and their definition of an oppressor, of course, I'm not saying that that's reality, then that's true. So they want to destroy objective reality. The purpose of this is because they want to tear down cultural institutions that are 
adhered to by the oppressed. Why do they want to do that? Because they're trying to spark a Marxist revolution and they know that Karl Marx's worker-led revolution is not going to happen. So they're using racial minorities as a tool to do that instead. So HR1 follows the same tactical, strategic pattern that we're seeing being deployed all over our country as patterned after critical race theory. The Democrats claim that our election systems are racist, that they oppress minorities, that they're run by white supremacists, and therefore we must tear them all down, take the power away from states, and the federal government must mandate how the states run their election, of course, only to the advantage of the Democrats forevermore. We do need actual election reform, actually. We do. Here are some things that we actually need. We need robust voter ID. This prevents fraud. It doesn't disadvantage minorities and people support it. We must ban ballot harvesting. It's vulnerable to fraud. There's no reason for it. And there's no way to protect against fraud with ballot harvesting. The voter rolls, we must maintain the voter rolls. We must remove voters after they have not voted for a certain amount of time and have not responded to the state reaching out to them to confirm that they still live there or if they moved away. States must mandate that you can have an absentee ballot, of course, if you have a reason and if you verify who you are. This can be a driver's license number. This can be a social security number. You must verify who you are so that we have confidence that you're not stealing our vote. We should not have same-day voter registration. It's a logistical nightmare that leaves room for fraud. We should not have early voting. It's not fair. People don't have the information that they need. We should not have private funding of election infrastructure either because that can benefit certain districts just based on the voter demographic, meaning it can benefit a Democrat-leaning district. Those are election reforms we actually need. The Democrats aren't interested in them. They're not fringy suggestions. They're not even partisan. They're just common sense security, election security suggestions that states should enact. So ask your Democratic representative, why don't you support these things? Why wouldn't you support these things? Don't you believe in election integrity? Because if you do, then you'd support the list that I just showed you. Okay, speaking of things that the mainstream media doesn't want you to hear, if the mainstream media won't report it, you can find me talking about it on Locals. If you've been following me over the past year, then you know, I've said this multiple times, I've been censored time and time again by Facebook and YouTube and Instagram. They demonetize my videos. They restrict my reach constantly. I don't want big tech to control my ability to communicate important stories to you especially when the mainstream media won't talk about it and the Democrats don't want you to hear it. So I partnered with Locals to create a censorship-free community. Locals is a platform launched by free speech fanatic Dave Rubin, and it's a place where we can share the unfiltered, unapologetic truth about the mainstream media and the left's lies without the fear of being shut down by the corporate overlords. I'm inviting you today to become a Liz Wheeler Show VIP on Locals. I have a lot of exciting new things coming up, and I'm going to be asking my VIPs regularly for their opinions and their feedback. I'm also going to be sharing behind the scenes looks at my show, the research, the filming process. Plus I'll be doing exclusive segments of my show just for VIPs. All of my interviews will be shared on Locals for VIPs to watch. I'll be taking questions directly from VIPs for the video mailbag in my show and you'll get the episodes free from ads. The monthly subscription rate is just $9 a month, but if you really want a good deal, you can sign up for the annual option right now for just $72 a year. That's four months free. 
you want me to do the math for you, four months free. So come support the show and let's get to know each other. Become a Liz Wheeler Show VIP today at lizwheelershow.com slash locals. That's lizwheelershow.com slash locals. All right, and now it is time for my favorite segment of the show, the five stories the mainstream media refused to report to you. So I will. Story number one, there is a video that is going viral online right now. An amazing dad teaching his adorable little daughter, this girl is so cute. An amazing dad teaching his little daughter that critical race theory is garbage. Take a look at this. Daddy teaches you can be anything in this world that you want to be, right? Don't daddy teach you that? Yeah, and it doesn't matter if, if you're black or white or any color. Doesn't matter if you're black, white, brown, yellow, yellow. right? Black. And, and how we treat people is based on who yeah. they are and not and what color nice. they are. And if they're nice and smart. See, this is, how, this is how children think right here. Critical race theory wants to end that. Not with my children, it's not gonna happen. My baby's gonna know that no matter what she wants to be in life, all she has to do is work hard, and she can become that. Work hard even though you don't know anyone. You can make friends. <laughs> yeah, you can make friends, no matter what color they are. So we need to stop CRT, period, point blank. Children do not see skin color, man. They love everybody. If they're good people, they love them. We pray for people that are hurt. How adorable was she? So the dad's name is Corey Yeshua. Kudos to him. Kudos, Corey, for teaching your daughter right and wrong. The family, I say this all the time, the family is the bedrock of our nation. The ills of our nation, the cultural ills of our nation are almost always due to the breakdown of the family, especially in the black community. So kudos, Corey, for being exactly what a father should be to your little girl. Did the mainstream media, however, did the mainstream media report on this story? No, no, they did not. Story number two, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that children still wear masks and social distance. This is what they say, quote, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends the continued use of a well-fitting face mask for children and teens who are aged two years and older and not yet fully vaccinated. In addition to protecting the child, the use of face masks significantly reduces the spread of severe SARS-CoV-2 and other respiratory infections in schools and other community settings. The AAP notes, use of face masks at home also may be vital in households that include medically fragile, immunocompromised, or at-risk adults and children. Hold on a second. The use of face masks at home? Are you suggesting that a two-year-old wear a mask at home? This is what they say. This is their quote. Use of face masks at home also may be vital. They're not just talking about COVID. The use of face masks significantly reduces the spread of severe SARS-CoV-2 and other respiratory infections. Okay, so now you want for every respiratory thing, you want two-year-old children to wear face masks at home? This is from the AAP. The use of face masks, this is a quote, should continue until children or adolescents are fully vaccinated, which is two weeks after the final COVID-19 vaccine dose has been administrated. Or administered, I should say. This, this, I don't even know what to say, I'm speechless. Here's what I will say. You are the parent. It is your child. Just say no to masking and social distancing, of course at home, in school. Say no to other ridiculous anti-science guidelines from the AAP. This organization is not the boss of your child. You are the boss of your child. These pediatricians are betraying your children. Did the mainstream media report this to you? Did they report 
the absurd recommendations from the AAP and their anti-science background. No, they did not. Okay, story number three. Blue's Clues, the children's, the annoying children's show, you've probably seen it. Blue's Clues featured on one of their episodes uh, a pride parade in time for Pride Month that also featured this pride parade in Blue's Clues featured a cartoon drag queen. It's hard for me to describe exactly what this video entails, how shocking it is, the level of indoctrination. So why don't you take a listen and a look for yourself? Hey, Blue, look at all these families. Hi, families. It's time for a pride parade. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. This family has two mommies. They love each other so proudly. And they all go marching in the big parade. Families marching two by two, hurrah, hurrah. Families marching two by two, hurrah, hurrah. This family has two daddies. They love each other so proudly. And they all go marching in the big parade. Come on, friends. By the way, this is a Nick Jr. show. So if you want to let them know that you do not want your child watching this kind of indoctrination, why don't you respectfully and firmly tell them so? Give them some viewer feedback. I mean, can you, again, this, this is indoctrination, right? This is not tolerance. This is not inclusivity. This is indoctrination. And I don't make a claim like that without the evidence to back it up. Yahoo News reported, meaning this is out there. This is public information. A woman named Linz Amer, okay? This woman created the video series Queer Kids Stuff. She consulted for this episode of Blue's Clues on this video, right? So this woman who has an agenda about queer kids, if that's even a thing. Kids aren't supposed to be sexual. They're little boys and little girls. They're, they haven't even reached puberty yet. This woman with an agenda to indoctrinate kids in sexuality and homosexuality consulted on this Blue's Clues video. This is, by the way, is why my daughter will not be watching television. Maybe she'll watch The Sound of Music or other wholesome musicals. She will not be watching weirdo children's shows, weirdo baby shows like Blue's Clues. Blue's Clues is not the only children's show to do that. Rugrats, actually, the reboot is going to feature a single lesbian mom. They are trying to indoctrinate your children in radical leftist ideology when it comes to sex and sexuality and families. Just say no as a parent. Did the mainstream media report on this story? In large part, no, except, except to praise it, with the exception of Yahoo, which did report this woman whose goal is to indoctrinate children, was a consultant for this episode of the show. Story number four. Google hired an anti-Semite, a Jew hater, as their head of diversity. Yeah, you'd think just a Google search could have prevented this from happening, but no. Okay, the man's name is Kamal Bob. He was listed on Google as the global lead for diversity strategy and research at Google. Um, and this is, this is what he wrote. He once ran a blog and he wrote a blog post titled, If I Were a Jew, okay? And it's truly horrible what he wrote. This is what he wrote, and I quote, If I were a Jew, I would be concerned about my insatiable appetite for war and killing in defense of myself. Self-defense is undoubtedly an instinct, but I would be afraid of my increasing insensitivity to the suffering others. My greatest torment would be that I've misinterpreted the identity offered 
by my history and transpose spiritual and human compassion with self-righteous impunity. He writes, if I were a Jew today, my sensibilities would be tormented. I would find it increasingly difficult to reconcile the long cycles of oppression that Jewish people have endured and the insatiable appetite for vengeful violence that Israel, my homeland, has now acquired. He sounds like Louis Farrakhan. That's how anti-Semitic he is. When this was exposed, Google refused to fire him. They wouldn't fire him. They just moved him to a different position. They said he's going to focus on a different area. They didn't fire this guy. He was their diversity lead, global lead for diversity. He's an anti-Semite. And they just want, said that they were going to move him to focus on a STEM research role. Unbelievable. Did the mainstream media report on this? No, they did not. All right, story number five. This might be the best story of them all. This one actually absolutely slays me. Facebook used Peter Daszak. You remember Peter Daszak. He's the intermediary from the grant for the grant from Fauci at the NIH who gave the grant to Peter Daszak, who subcontracted that grant to the Bat Lady of Wuhan, right? Facebook used Peter Daszak as a fact checker to fact check the Wuhan lab leak theory. The literal dude who funded the Wuhan lab was asked to fact check whether or not it was true that this virus could have been created or manipulated or altered in this lab and leaked to the public. Okay, I mean, you cannot make this up. This is unreal. This is mind-blowing. Okay, and what's worse, there's a little addition to this story. Peter Daszak, as of today, I believe, has blocked me on Twitter. Now, I, I don't understand blocking on Twitter. I don't have anybody blocked. None. Nobody. I don't understand it. But specifically in this case, I don't understand it. Like, do you understand that I will still see your tweets, even if you blocked me? That that doesn't prevent me from seeing your tweets? Do you also understand that it just makes you look hella guilty of funding gain-of-function experiments at the Wuhan Institute of Virology? The fact that you blocked me. Because I've not said anything personal against you. I'm just talking about the money, my money, that you used to fund the Wuhan Institute of Virology. It's public record, and I'm just talking about it, and you blocked me. But did the mainstream media report on the fact that Facebook used this man to fact check the Wuhan lab leak theory? Oh no, the mainstream media did not. Okay, the great and powerful Jay Hay, my producer, says that we are out of time today, except unless, if you're a Locals VIP, we have a little bit more for you. If not, if you missed this week's episodes called What Do You Like About Being White? And the other episode inside Fauci's Inbox, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to The Liz Wheeler Show. Give us a five-star rating. Write us a glowing review. Watch all of the episodes that you've missed. In the meantime, think for yourself. Use critical thought, not critical theory. Question authority, follow the facts, and do not let government or corporate wokeism or anybody bully you into being a sheep. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show, and we are continuing on Locals. Let's talk about Friends versus Seinfeld. If you want to see the rest of this segment, hear everything that we're going to talk about, head on over to Locals, the Liz Wheeler Show community at lizwheelershow.com slash locals. See you there.